I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. No, 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 no. Don't forget you're on video. <laughs> How what? are you? And what? I, I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. We're not together because I'm in lost. I almost said lost wages. Las Vegas. God, I hope not. Um, yeah. Tell me about tell tell me all about it and everything. Oh well, uh I don't gamble. Well, so you don't gamble uh for a very simple reason. You just like losing money just hurts your heart. Yeah, I I I I hustle too much to to lose money so frivolously for nothing. I agree. I mean, you know, I lived here for seven years back in the 90s and uh, early 2000s. Uh, I did. So so I don't have the gambling spirit at all. I actually had to force myself to gamble. So every Friday I would go play quarter wheel of fortune and I would only put a $20 bill in. That's 80% of the gambling I did over the course of that time. Um, every now and then I would go play like dollar blackjack, but again, I would buy in for like $40 and however long that would last me. And, you know, you get free drinks and hang with friends, but that was not a regular thing. But anyway, I'm here because I went to the lovers and friends music festival. Uh, I had never been to a music festival, so I'm glad I went. <laughs> Um, you bought me the ticket, which was very nice. And it was a very last minute thing. Uh, I could probably say for sure I'm not a music festival type person <laughs> after this experience. Um, and I have a lot of questions and feedback uh, about it. <laughs> but the lineup, uh, so a coworker, slash my former boss was the one who told me about it. And when I saw the lineup, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, you know, like I want to go. And some of the acts, like the headliners were Missy Elliott, Mariah Carey, Usher, 50 Cent, Christina Aguilera, Chris Brown. Um, there were so many people there. Um, my overall impression, so I don't even know where to begin. I I didn't enjoy it because, you know, so there were four stages and the scheduling was like, you know, set up so that there isn't a lot of overlap. And I do have to say they kept the schedule very well, but there were so many acts that first of all, these people come out on stage and it's just them. Like there is no production. It's just little Mo just as like, just on the stage, like just walks out and they, they press play on the track and they start singing. So, you know, the tickets are, were expensive. Um, what you paid was, um, uh, it was at a discount because we bought them on StubHub, but the original price was like $500. So you're not getting a $500 show. You're not even a $50 show. You're just getting like a slew of people who you might recognize like their biggest song get up on stage. And the biggest issue for me was that almost all of them are singing over the track. 
So you're not even getting like a real performance. You're getting like someone press play on their biggest song and then they just get out there and sort of talk or sing over some of it. Uh, you know, for that kind of money, I think maybe if I were younger, well, this is the other thing, this lineup is for people my age. So it's like, well, <laughs> I would rather spend less to go see, like Missy Elliott's performing on Wednesday in Southern California. Like, and I'm assuming we'll have like a full show. All of these artists, Usher has a, had a residency or I think still does in Vegas, you know, Mariah Carey, all these people, you could go to their real concert and pay less money. So really the only benefit is you get to see so many people on one day. So it's, it's quantity, not quality. Exactly. I don't know that that's my personality. Um, I like just seeing them on stage is not enough. Like I want to see a good show with like good sound. The other issue is because there are four stages on this very huge um, or in this huge fairgrounds. I think there was an, like, they had to be mindful of the volume from each stage. So it didn't sort of interrupt others. So for the two smaller stages, sometimes the sound was like, you know, I can't really hear you, but um, some people I were really I was really disappointed in were Little Kim. Oh, okay. So Little Kim, <laughs> the festival started at twelve, and I got there early because I'm like I'm not trying to. I'm glad I got there early because I it, it was very easy to get in. So I was in the festival by like eleven thirty, and there were a lot of people there, but maybe it was like thirty five percent capacity. So it was pretty comfortable to like get close enough to the stage to see. But as every minute went by, more people piled in. So little Kim, I think she came on at like three o'clock. That was when it started to get full. Like that was the first time like that part of the stage was like, it was just like a pool of people. But she came out and she did like a 25 minute set. And it was like, first of all, <laughs> The production value was so poor. She did, she only did a few songs. Little Kim has a lot of songs people know, but she only did like maybe five. And she didn't even do the full song. She just did like a minute of each. And then oh. she had another rapper named Lil C's. Like C's Candy. Or like Little Caesar's Pizza, I don't know. <laughs> but um, he was like her hype man. So he rapped more than she did. And then she had another person out who I did not recognize. I think this person's name is King Kong. I'm sure I'm wrong. The audience, like the younger people seem to get really hyped for him. He did more songs than she did in her set. So she only did like, yeah. And then they did a tribute to the Notorious B.I.G. in the middle of her set. So she wasn't even... So here's, so from a business standpoint, I feel like, you know, these festivals make a lot of money, but they also have to pay a ton of money to get these people. They're also getting these headliners for like a shorter amount of time. Right. So they're paying their full fee, right? Like, so you're not getting the full show. So I'm assuming part of the, the experience that I had is that you know, I, I'm 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 watching Little Kim perform for a portion of her, what her normal fee might be, so that's why she's not giving 
like a full show. So that wasn't very satisfying to me. Then Debrat performed. And you know Debrat's pregnant. Yes. I believe she's 48 or 49. She's pregnant. I, I you put something about the sperm donor. Uh yeah. She and you know, Debrat's a stud. So she wears like the jerseys and the, you know, she dresses like that. This lady came on stage in her normal, like, long basketball shorts and jersey, but the jersey had been cut out to expose her full belly. You've never seen anything like this, certainly not on a stage rapping. Her performance was probably one of the worst performances I've ever seen. Really? Damn. I mean, she, every song she did was like the track like someone just hit play so she would kind of rap over it but i would say 50 percent of the time when she wasn't actually rapping she wasn't even pretending to lip sync she would have the mic down and walk back and forth then she her set was only like 20 25 minutes and she did in the middle of it like a tribute to like the rappers that came the female rappers who came before her which is a cute idea if you're doing an hour-long show but it's like this lady has enough songs that she could have just done like six or seven of her own songs at almost full length and just done the full show. What, but, kind, of a, what kind of a tribute did she do? Not not like uh, Ariana DeBose, Angela no, Bassett? She, no, <laughs> she just did like uh, Queen Latifah, Lady of Rage, uh, MC Light. She took some of their songs and kind of kind of rapped over them. Then there was a moment when she, like, her wife came on stage. It was awkward. I mean, it was it was kind of amazing to think, like, oh, in 2023, you have this huge crowd crowd of people who are, like, R&B hip-hop fans. And here's this big old, like, saying, here's my wife. And that was, I mean, I thought, like, wow, who would have ever thought? Uh, so that in itself was beautiful. But it's just, like... Maybe they're not getting paid enough to care. I don't know. It, it, it's just very like low quality to me. I was super, probably the one person I was most excited to see was Busta Rhymes. Mm -hmm. And again, they just come out on stage. It was him and his hype man. And the sound was so bad. It was like, you couldn't even hear him. And then there were times when he was doing this thing where they would turn his mic off and then turn it back on. But he was like, I feel like it was part of his show to demonstrate like his lyrical skills. But because the sound was so bad, people were literally in the audience like, what's going on? We can't hear him. But the thing that I hated the most is that every one of these artists had their like DJ. And you know how the DJ will like, they like they do that scratching and then they stop the music so everyone can like sing the lyrics for the artist yeah oh god i hate that so much i didn't pay to have this crazy bitch next to me sing the lyrics i want to hear the artist rap the song so why do we keep stopping the track and yeah, it was oh, song. oh i hated it so much but what ended up happening is like at a point I wasn't feeling very safe. Like it just like the crowd start, started to swell. And then I just started thinking like, what if there's like gunfire, I would be trampled to death. It, it felt like that. So then I left to take a break and then I just couldn't bring myself to come back. Um, you didn't go back? 
No, I, I didn't feel safe. As I was leaving, the crowd had swelled. So here's my other question. So you expect people to be there for 12 hours because the first act started at 12 and the last act went on at like 1030. So you want me to be out there for 12 hours in the sun with nowhere to really sit and get comfortable. It's just not doable. So then it's like probably the smarter thing to do, which what a lot, which is what I think a lot of people did is they show up later. But then it's like super crowded and the line was really long to get in when I left at 5.30. So then it's like, well, that seems like a lot of effort to pay $500 to then really just see your faves, right? Because that's when like Usher and Christina Aguilera were about to come on. Like when I was walking out, Usher was performing. So then it's like, well, that's a lot of money. You could have spent a fifth of that and just seen a full Usher concert, like good production, comfortable assigned seating. So again, I don't quite understand. And then, you know, there were a lot of people my age or like around my age, maybe older, but there were also young people there. And it's just like, they looked exhausted because Someone like me, clearly I'm tired because I'm older and my feet hurt and my back starts to hurt. But even people half my age, they're going harder than me. So they were all drinking. They looked a mess. I just don't, like, is this what Coachella's like? Is this what EDC's like? It, it just doesn't make sense to me. But I'm really glad I got to go. It was a fun experience, like, initially. And just now I know what it's like. Um but yeah, that was a lot. And then like not even being dramatic, I really was like concerned for my safety at the point that I decided to leave. Because the other thing is the four stage, the, the fairgrounds is huge. So as every act would start, people would run to the other stage. So then it just felt like if I were to, if someone were to knock me down, which happened, almost happened several times, I mean, I could see myself getting trampled. Like, and the other thing is people are drinking, they're dehydrated, they're, they're drinking alcohol, they're dehydrated, they've been in the sun. So people are acting crazy. That's how fights happen. I, not that I'm an aggressor, but you know, it's just, I don't know. I didn't feel safe at a point, but I'm very glad I went. I was also thinking, not to get too deep, but I feel like I don't do... I think sometimes I'm not very social and I don't do a lot of things because I don't think I deserve to spend money on myself was kind of what I was thinking. Like, I think that's why I'm so frugal because I just don't think that I should spend money on myself. But for other people, I'm fine, right? But when it comes to myself, it's like, I don't, yeah, I think I just don't do a lot of things because I don't want to spend the money. And I'm not saying I want to like start spending every penny I have, but I think it would be nice to start doing more things that I think I would enjoy. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, you know, I'm grateful that I got to try this. Um, but yeah, I'll stick to single artist shows with assigned seating and, <laughs> and air conditioning. I can't, I can't do this. Well, so who is your favorite that you did see? Well, uh, so I have to give credit. Um, I, I would say the best performance, uh, like someone who really seemed like they were really into it and were trying to give a show and they sounded great was Bobby Valentino. Uh, 
And I did have his CD, uh, one of his CDs way, way back in the day. Um, yeah, I was really excited for some reason. Oh, well, Little Mall, I like Lil Mall and she was really cute, even though it was literally just her on stage <laughs> singing over a track. But there's a group, I don't know if you're familiar with them, uh, called Dem, D-E-M, Dem Franchise Boys. Uh, no, you might know a song from them. They were on a Monica song called "Every Time the Beat Drops." If I played oh. it, you would know it because I played uh-huh. them. All their music sounds the same, but I mean, it makes you want to move. So, so I added after watching them perform, they were actually really good. They had um, some younger guys, like they look like teenagers dancing, and those kids were lit. Like it, it was a party. So I did enjoy that. Also, you know. It was really not, people came out dressed like however they wanted to look. And I thought that was really cool. I I think it's really cool seeing people like comfortable in their skin and having a good time. So that was a positive. Um, I hope that people aren't spending, you know, these things are expensive. So I hope that people aren't like spending their rent money (laughs) to go see these shows everything's so overpriced you know a can of modello was like 15 dollars. i ate once and it was um chicken tenders with fries when i tell you that basket was like this big of course Mm -hmm. literally it was like the three of the tiniest little chicken tenders on top of a child's handful of fries 20 dollars plus tax and of course they want a tip and all that shit was pre-made when I ordered it. I'm th- like, I'm thinking, Oh, I need to go step to the side because it's going to take a minute to get my order ready. I turned my back and that lady's like number one Oh three and literally just had it already pre-made like these tiny like in and out, but you know me, I mean, I'm frugal and everything's too expensive, but I just thought this shit, I really hope people are, you know, not making poor financial decisions to attend these kind of events but anyway again i'm glad well we're fine but you know i'm i'm glad that um, i got to go and i thank you for buying me the ticket um somebody asked me if i had any uh details on the something happened between ursher and chris brown oh yeah so i believe it was chris brown's birthday on saturday on friday night and he had like a private party at like some roller rink I could be totally wrong, but I, I mean, I'm not TMZ, but, and Chris Brown and Usher are like very good friends, apparently, but they got into an argument because I guess Chris, Tiana Te- Taylor was at the, the party and I guess Chris Brown was trying to holler at her or something and Usher stepped in to be like, leave her alone. Oh. And, they got, and they got into an argument. There's video. I didn't watch it, but it's like showing them being kind of like aggressive, like showing them aggressively arguing. And then Usher comes back with a bloody nose, but he still performed. Um, so. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't give a shit. Uh, and then, you know, both of them were at the lovers and friends festival. Like they performed on the same stage back to back. So they were concerned about whether they were lovers or friends. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. So that's I mean, you know, between the two of them, she'll get, you know, she'll get hit or herpes. So, you know. Oh, <laughs> where's the lie? Okay. Um, Friday night, 
I fell asleep and then I woke up like around, I think like one. Sounds like you. Mm -hmm. So I put on the TV and I watched uh, King Charles Coronation because, you know, the time difference, it was like 10 a.m. over there. That was interesting. Mm -hmm. The highlight was, so I watched it on CNN with Anderson Cooper hosting, and then he had some like correspondence um, also. But I thought the best part of watching the coordination on CNN with Anderson Cooper was everyone trying to find something interesting to say while we're just watching this horse and carriage travel like a mile. <laughs> like i know the brits love like pomp and circumstance and so for them it's a big deal and it is a spectacle but it's just like it's just funny like watch like i could have just watched it i don't need commentary the entire time it almost felt like a best in show when yeah like they're just making shit up to say <laughs> but um i did want to shout out you know who miss pat is the comedian and for people who don't know, she has a Netflix special called um, Y'all Want to Hear Something Crazy. That's how I discovered her. But now she has a very popular show on BET+. I think it's like the, the third season is out. But she was on a podcast called Sloppy Seconds. It's with Big Dipper and the drag queen Meatball. And I do like their podcast. But she was on there and it was such a good interview. So I would recommend that. Okay. But I know we wanted to talk about, we, I feel like we could do a weekly thing about bad customer service, but. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, and, you know, and you know, I like to complain. But... You know, I'm, I'm pretty, um, I, I, leave, I leave a lot of room for people. Like, oh, yeah, this job Nick, stuff. Nick is very, he makes a lot of excuses for bad customer service. I think it's because he used to work in customer service and he's not good at it either. So he makes a lot of excuses for people, which is nice because he's, an easy customer to deal with. So I was very surprised when even you were like <laughs> complaining because we went to Fiesta Cantina in West Hollywood on Monday of last week. Wanted something. Because I had a craving for carne asada fries and that was the only place I could think of, even though I've never had them there. Right. And it was and it, and it was dead, right? It was Monday, there was no one there. And we walk in the place and immediately... What do you call like an old twink? There should be a name for an old twink. Because <laughs> a twunk is like a hunky twink, right? Like they're still young, but they're like a little more muscular. But we, yeah, what do you call an aged twink? Aged, that, just that. Anyway, this aged twink approached us wearing. Makes him sound like he was still attractive. He just, you know, maybe it needs. Well, well, okay, sure. But he walked up to us. And what did he say immediately? He said to come order at the bar because it was easier for him. Which I'm like, okay. So, and then we're like, do you want us to order from the bar? Uh, well, that would just, just, yeah, just, just come do that. And then I don't know. I must have had a look on my face because he, he right away he came to our table. But well, because then I was like, so we have to sit at the bar, or because we didn't want to sit at the bar because it was loud in there. So we sit outside. And then, yeah, he eventually came. But the thing Look, is, if that's your process, fine. But don't say to make it easier on me. Like That's the thing. I feel like, yeah, he, he could have just said, hey, guys, welcome. Sit wherever you'd like. When you're ready, just come to the bar and place your order. 
That's how you say it. You don't make it seem like, well, I don't want to come out there. Because then the other thing is like, so then he took our order. He seemed like he really didn't want to. He wasn't not friendly, but it was just like, and then brings our food and then doesn't really check on us until we say like, we're ready for the bill. And then it's like, and then you want a tip. Okay. Then I, I feel like I need to call out Cheesecake Factory because everyone knows it's my favorite restaurant, more for sentimental re sentimental reasons than like the quality of the food. And over the years, because I've been going there since 1996, over the years, the quality has gone downhill. But the last few times we've been, I've ordered the breakfast burrito. Uh -huh. and, okay. I, and I swear... If, if there's a representative from Cheesecake Factory listening, I need to understand how this works because sometimes the beans, like the breakfast burrito comes with black beans and sometimes they're in the burrito. Sometimes they bring you a side bowl of black beans. One time my burrito didn't have beans. So when I asked the server, she's like, well, they don't come with beans. It's like, well, the menu says they have beans. Well, I can just bring you a bowl of beans. So then she's treating me like she's doing me a favor, even though I paid for beans. Oh. Then the last time we were there, I ordered the burrito and I said, hey, just to be clear, my burrito comes with black beans and could my black beans be in my burrito? And then she was confused, like, well, I don't know if they do, but I'm sure they can do that for you. Like, again, you're not doing me a favor. This is what the company you work for sells. So this level of customer service where everyone thinks they're doing me a favor, you're being paid to do this exact thing and the company you work for is selling this thing. So I'm not asking for anything out of the ordinary. That shit drives me crazy. Like, <laughs> do you not know where you work and what you sell? Ugh. Anyway, you have been made to hustle for the beans. Yes. Um, I have a note about the dentist. Did you want, did, did you tell me that? Or I don't know why I would talk about the dentist. I didn't send that note. I was at the dentist, which I hate going to. Um, well, you're lucky you have nice teeth because yeah, you don't like going to the uh, dentist. I haven't gone to the dentist in five whole years for which I was chastised for. And I don't by the, like by the dentist, by the dentist. Why would you do that to yourself? And I'm like, well, because I hate I hate coming here. I hate it. But, you know, I, as everything else that I do is too much and too hard. So I, I brush my teeth too hard. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, oh, but the note on the Cheesecake Factory, though, the the best chicken piccata I've ever oh. had. You do like you do like their chicken piccata. But it's so, you know, they have a wide array of things. And every now and then I'll try to step out of my comfort zone and get something. And usually it's it's like I with I wish I had gotten the chicken piccata. Um yeah. but so I guess we ate there last week and I guess I was feeling, you know, curious and I tried the Aju burger. That shit was good. That was really, really good. was good. Um the bun, it was yeah. almost if you mix like a pretzel bun with a brioche bun. It was mm -hmm. right, kind of like that. Oh, it I, was, I, want right now. I want one right now. It was good. Yeah, that was one of the better burgers I've had in a while. Well, you know, you let me take a bite of yours. But yeah, it was very good. Anyway, but uh, but yeah, and then so the dentist happens and uh, luckily there weren't any major problems, but uh, 
but go if you have insurance uh, although God, dental insurance it's such a joke like i haven't gone in five years but like that's all they pay for oh i i could go i i go on rants about dental insurance all the time it is a joke what they cover is not even worth it's it's it was so not worth it and then the, you know they had to run down everything it's just i almost just want to call and be like i'll just pay it myself <laughs> no really it's like you you know actually you probably it probably would be cheaper because a lot of these dental offices especially the nicer ones who, who do take your you know whatever insurance you have you know they're charging a premium and then and then giving just you know they're assigning a discounted price to the insurance company but because the maximum coverage is so low what you end up paying like you could just go to a, a dentist without insurance and you probably would have paid less out of out of pocket i feel like it just is such a racket but yeah there's no i don't understand how dental health is not as important because you can become sick from having poor dental health, right? Um, you can have heart issues, which your health insurance would have to cover anyway. Like, well, obviously not cosmetic shit, but like, you can't be missing teeth and have cat. Like, these are things that should be covered. Yeah, well, you know, just the what bacteria run rampant in your mouth for too long can do, and uh, the, the, you know, it wears down the bone between your teeth. That's that's how you have missing teeth. Uh, I don't know. It's just. Whatever, I, I I went. Well, let's take a quick break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. All right, we received some questions. Number one, how do we choose movies for the live polls or the polls for the live videos? Um, I mean, if there's a topic that is of interest, then that would be an idea. But usually, lately I've been doing like if there is a notable person from cinema who has like a birthday on the on the Saturday, we would do it. That's how I've been choosing them. Mm -hmm. And as far as once we choose the theme, how do we select the films? It's films that we would want to watch <laughs> more oh, so yeah. than, yeah. More so than like their most popular films. Or if it's someone who has like a really popular film in their filmography will usually remove that one because then it's like, why even have a poll? Because everyone's going to vote for the popular film. So that's all. Cause then we get all these comments like, why didn't you choose Titanic? And it's like, because that everyone will pick Titanic. Yes. Also our channel is, I mean, we do a lot of like independent, some foreign film, obviously you prefer foreign film. So like, yeah, I mean, we don't review all the basic stuff. I mean, we go outside of that. So then when we choose films, it's usually like, oh, films that maybe people aren't talking about. Mm -hmm. But last week in one of the videos we published, I mentioned it was our like anniversary. Mm -hmm. 
So there were questions about that. Like, what was our wedding like? We eloped. I think, well, we neither of us wanted a wedding. So that was a very easy call. Well, um, you know, you know, we were, because that was many moons ago. <clears throat> and I, I don't think either of us thought we could afford to be lavish to any degree. So, yeah, that was my next thought was that at that time, it wasn't like we had a lot of disposable income. So the thought of spending tens of thousands of dollars just wasn't even, but I don't even think we would have gotten that far because neither of us really wanted to do that. Um, but certainly for people who dream of that, I think it's nice. I haven't been to that many weddings actually. Um, but you know, I think I don't need it. I don't need to spend money. I think people can just have a nice gathering like at their house. Um, and I think that would be as meaningful as spending $60,000. I mean, yeah. I, it's not for me. Uh, and even now, like if, if, you know, now that we would be better able to afford a wedding, I still wouldn't want one. No, I want to, I would rather go somewhere with you, you know, and, and enjoy ourselves rather than, uh, yeah, yeah, that's just not in my, that, 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 that's not something that I feel a desire to do either, thankfully. I also think that maybe, so some people have the money, right? Like some people's parents can afford to throw a hundred G's at a, a wedding and the couple can afford to then buy their first home and start working on the family. Like, so those people, it's fine. But some people it's like, you know, 60,000 is a lot of money when you don't own a home. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, yeah. don't, like <laughs> you're, you're going into debt and then you, I don't know that that's the best way to start a marriage is like having no savings, not being able to purchase a home. Well, like, that is a racket. I mean, it's it's like the same thing with buying a wedding ring, <clears throat> particularly for women, because it's supposed to. There, there's a rule of thumb about it that it's supposed to cost however many months of your salary to buy this lady a ring, so that she can show off that she's someone's property. Blah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it makes good financial sense, but it's like if that's what people really want, then have at it. I just never wanted that. So then it was really easy to be like, well, we're not getting, like we're not spending money on a wedding. And then at the time, same-sex marriage wasn't legal in Minnesota where we were living. So we had to go out of state and we chose Massachusetts. So then it was like, okay, well, even if- state. <laughs> Say that again? It was not the closest state to us either. No, but we thought we should do it with the state that's been doing it the longest because we assumed the process would be smoother because we could have gone to Idaho. Iowa. Iowa, sorry. But then they had just started. So I thought, well, I don't want to be uncomfortable being like some of the first, you know, and then we get weird looks. So we chose to go to Boston. We did hire a photographer which wasn't, I mean, it was, a, it was a lot of money to us back then, but, you know, considering what people spent on other things, um, it, it wasn't. And then we just went to the courthouse and it was a lovely experience. The judge was a lady and she was really nice. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then we just stayed for like what? We only stayed like three nights total, I think. Basically, yeah. Yeah, we we spent a day in Provincetown. Um, oh, that's right. We we which was actually really lovely. I mean, we yeah. didn't get to do much because like we didn't get to do any of the nighttime stuff. But um I still remember the we ate at some restaurant and they're listing the ingredients. I'm like, what? I've ne I've never seen it listed in a restaurant instead of saying cucumbers, they said cukes. Because for a minute I was like, what the <laughs> cukes? Like, oh. Well, um, I remember we had some really good saltwater taffy in Provincetown. Yeah. Where did we just had some too that was really oh, oh at a restaurant. We ate out a lot last week. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I felt good about returning home having not spent a lot of money. <laughs> like that felt good to me. Um so yeah. But if you uh, want to spend money on a wedding, I guess go for it. And then there was a question about like, because they were saying like, you've been together. Well, you, we've been together for 15 years. And what, what are our thoughts on like changing like physically? So I'm not exactly sure um, what, what to say about that. Like as in how, uh, how our bodies are decomposing, <laughs> maybe or like, or like a, having a responsibility to maintain our bodies. Um, I don't know. I mean, my immediate thought is like, I think if you're in a relationship, you have a responsibility to try to be your best self for that person. Um, partially because you'd want to be, I, I guess. So I think that's the constant challenge is like remembering that, you know. Remember, it, remember that I want to rub up on this body still, so. Well, I think it's easy, like when you're alone, it, it, it's easy to have those spells where, you know, you're in a rut and you just want to be in bed and not do anything and all the things, right? But then when there's someone else there who you're responsible too you know it certainly in my mind makes me think like well i need to try to keep it together i'm not always successful but i think that would also pertain to like my appearance i think you know aside from just normal aging and yeah i mean i think i i don't want to be an embarrassment but that sounds tricky because I think, yeah, my looks are going to change and, you know, however that happens, um, you know, it is what it is. So I think, I, I don't know how to answer that question because I think if you're in a relationship and you really care about the person and want to be with them, it's like, I really wouldn't care what you end up looking like in the future beyond like self-destructive, like, you know, Oh yeah, I mean, there's there's an, an inevitability, but uh, you know that also goes into and as a couple fostering a sense of self care in one another too. Is you it it you know it feels good to be physically active. It feels good to eat better, uh, and you know which are things you know because I met you when I was twenty three. Uh, I what you just don't as a twenty something really don't have that kind of awareness about what you're putting into your body and what you're doing to it. But, you know, as you get older and 
kind of take a step back and try some new, when you know what eating good feels like, I mean, you know, once you know, you know, and, 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 and the positive effects that you see from that, because that, to me, that's, that's more important really even than exercise. Yeah. Nutrition. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe this question came from, um, didn't I in some video talk about, or, or a live video talk about how people's parents take them out and they don't look their best or like when your mom, I don't remember. I said something crazy like last week. So maybe that was part of it. Um, I think also when you spend a lot of time with someone, they're going to see you when you're not at your best. And I think that's actually like a good, that's a benefit. I think of being comfortable around someone is that I don't always feel like I have to look or present myself how I feel best. Right. Like if my hair is kind of in a way, I don't like it. I'm not thinking like, Oh, I have to do my hair. He's going to be disgusted by me or, you know, like I, my weight does go up and down and it's like, well, you know, that's just, if, if you're around me all the time for years, you're going to see me change. So knowing that I don't have to be like, oh, I'm gross and, you know, I don't feel good about myself and they're not going to feel good about me either. Well, you've never been gross. And also the way you make weight, your weight doesn't fluctuate. The, the, the way you're talking about it, I think makes it sound, it's very subtle. I mean. No, but you know, when you don't feel, you know, when like if you're bloated or you have like- <laughs> It's more of a feeling inside that you yeah, have. Right. That. So yeah. Yeah. But I I I think that's probably what I'm thinking. Uh yeah. I don't think I answered that question very well. <laughs> but anyway, we can move on to films released we didn't cover. Something called Love Again. Oh yes. Uh that is starring Priyanka Chopra Jones. Uh, and you did not want to watch this. Uh but no. it's it's directed by somebody named Jim Strauss, whose previous films I don't really care for either. I, I remember really not liking people, places, things. And I was pretty underwhelmed with the incredible Jessica James. Uh, but, you know, considering the declining health of Celine Dion, uh, you know, I, I feel like eventually I'll watch this. But I, I, I was reading that they had to do a lot of uh, VFX on her. Because uh, I think that the things were happening at the time it was filming. But uh which is really a, a bummer. I mean, yeah. I don't even really want to think about that. But um, yeah, that came out this week. Something called One Ranger. Um, yes, this looked terrible, um, but it's directed by Jesse V. Johnson and stars Thomas Jane and John Malkovich looking kind of like a Z-grade thriller, Western thriller anyway. And lastly, something called Unrest. Unrest, I liked. I, I I saw this at the Berlin Film Festival. In what year is it? Twenty twenty two. So over a year ago, and this was in the Panorama, maybe or the, and, and one of the sidebars. Uh, it's directed by Cyril Schaublin, and it's set in turn of the century Switzerland about these watchmakers. And it sounds like it'd be really dry, and to be fair, it kind of is. But I also thought it was kind of interesting. But but that's it. It was kind of a the, I, the release schedule for things, you know, because we'll cover 10, 13 films and that's not everything that'll come out in a week. And this week was pretty slow, which is fine. 
Projects of interest, Voyagers. Uh, Sebastian Lelio, who I, I quite like, uh, he's going to be directing a film about Carl Sagan, um, he who wrote Contact, for which you, you haven't seen the film version with Jodie Foster yet. Um, but Andrew Garfield will be starring as Carl, and he's joined by Daisy Edgar Jones about a real-life romance. Next, The Invite. Uh, this sounded interesting. It, I think it's a remake of a Spanish film from the early 2000s, but Valerie Ferris and Jonathan Dayton, who directed uh, Little Miss Sunshine and still what they're best known for, uh, have lined up a cast that includes Amy Adams, Paul Rudd, and Tessa Thompson. And I think it's about a couple that is kind of on the rocks and they're, they start going to orgies that their neighbors host, it sounds like. Oh, Tasha Smith has a project? She is going to be replacing uh, What's-Her-Face in Bad Boys 4 as Martin Lawrence's wife. Oh. She seems a little young for him um, in my mind, but I like Tasha Smith, so... The only, yeah. well, the only reason I would watch Bad Boys 4 is for Tasha Smith, then. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't love Bad Boys 3 or 2, and the first one has some nostalgia factors for it, but... Yeah, I'm sure we'll see it. Whatever. Swan Song? Uh, Chen Kaiga is directing a film about Tchaikovsky. And as the title indicates, uh, his final piece, uh, you know, Tchaikovsky, there, there have been several, many films about him and uh, his homosexuality. There was a very interesting film in Cannes. God, was that too? Was that last year? Tchaikovsky's Wife by Kirill Serebrennikov kind of really goes into depth. Glenda Jackson and um, Richard Chamberlain and the music lovers kind of detailing, you know, his homosexuality. Um, but Chen Kaiga, I haven't seen, God, he directed a film, God, that's a decade ago, an internet thriller, but he's best known for, he won the Palme d'Or for Farewell My Concubine, which was a really big deal uh, at the, it's, and still is. But uh, yeah, that is of interest. Oh, isn't there a movie with Udo Kier called Swan Song? Yes, and there's a really terrible film I hated with Mahershala Ali called Swan Song, um, where where he's going to die and he has himself cloned without his wife knowing. Oh, that's right. That's right. Lastly, Dr. Jekyll. Um, I'd known about this project before, but uh, stills were just released of Eddie Izzard, uh, who is the lead and I have to say, I'm super intrigued. Uh, Joe Stevenson is the director, but uh, yeah, because I, I quite like Eddie Izzard and um, yeah. yeah, I'm very curious for that. Okay, movies for fun, Ghostbusters 2. I'm the sorrow of Moldovia. <laughs> I the, the best part of the, I didn't care for that movie. The best part is the little guy with the bad accent. <laughs> McNichol, who yeah. you also like in Adam's Family Values. But um, we hadn't, I, I think I put this on because in the 15 years that we've been together, we've never sat, because we watched every Sigourney movie, like I've made you. And with, I've never liked Ghostbusters 2, so I haven't seen it in probably two decades. But yeah, we watched it. It just feels like, the like, oh, the first one was a hit. Let's make another one that's pretty much the same movie. I was reading that part of that was the studio was having some financial issues, so they didn't want to take a chance. So they just kind of remade the first one. Um, but it feels like 
it just doesn't feel like anyone is really like none of the actors are into it as much as I you know love Sigourney Weaver she just I don't think I've ever seen a female character in a movie who's supposed to be a mom seem less interested in her kid like she just seems so like disconnected from this baby <laughs> she does seem detached but they also yeah. give her nothing to do that's all no, the, they don't. everything about her is related to this baby and then the uh, between the first and second film the uh the dissipated romance with uh dr peter venkman uh and I think that's also why I just never cared for this film because they totally waste her. Uh, but even Ernie Hudson watching it this time, I'm like, where the hell is Ernie? And then he just pops up somewhere. Like, Yeah, that was his character is handled in a very awkward way. I did not care for it. I mean, the first like 15, 20 minutes, I, I was saying like, oh, this is kind of funny. But then it just falls off. <laughs> Especially when I realized like, oh, wow, this is basically the first movie and then you know all the what were we reading about ivan reitman just seems like a dick yeah uh the haunting of julia i read peter straub's julia uh reread because i read it as a kid it was a sneak read on the school bus uh and i did my because my grandma had it and i had seen this film before but it was uh i think shout factory put it out for the first time on blu-ray which i was sent and so i watched the haunting of julia directed by richard Longcrane and starring mia farrow i think it was a canadian production i didn't realize that um because it came out in 77 it didn't actually get a u.s release until like 81 which is so strange to me um that it was overlooked especially starring uh somebody like Mia Farrow. But, you know, in the late 70s, she was making some interesting choices because she's in that terrible Rock Hudson movie where she's they're having a romance, Avalanche, which we watched. Uh, it's got a Mystery Science Theater treatment and something called Hurricane. Yeah, So I, I don't know. But this is very in line with uh, her Rosemary's Baby character. She's you very are- She's very good at playing fragile characters. Um, I was underwhelmed by the film. It, The suspense portion, it just feels like it's like leading us on and then it doesn't amount to anything. And then when we find out what's happening, it was more than anything, I felt confused by what ends up being the cause of her troubles. <laughs> well, and then the, the, the novel is a very like B novel uh, and they changed the whole twist of that um, to make this more of a straight up kind of possession film. Uh, And then, you know, kind of waste Kira Delea, who's her husband that she's trying to get away from. Uh, Yeah. I, I will. I think the final scene is creepy. Um, It it, it does have an effect, but it's, it's almost, I don't know. I was I was underwhelmed rewatching it. Dead Ringers. I somehow made it through all six episodes of Dead Ringers this week, on top of everything else. And um, I like Rachel Weisz quite a bit. I don't think this was well written or conceived. It felt like too many cooks in the kitchen. I think that because I'm I I, I have the book. I've never read it. Uh, but David Cronenberg, of course, made a really excellent film in 88 with Jeremy Irons as the two, the Mantle twins and uh, Genevieve Bouillold. This, it just felt overwrought, overwritten. 
chaotic in ways that aren't interesting. I think that I I have no problem with profanity, uh, but it felt you can't just use the F word for every other word and, and have more than one character doing it because they all sound the same. Like I, I forget which twin, the, the one that's kind of uh, more outgoing and outrageous, uh, Beverly is the twin. Sounds just like the this powerhouse lesbian played by Jennifer Ellie. I don't. I was mostly bored, which is sad because I also like. Uh, is it Sean Durkin was one of the directors on here, and Karen Kusama. Mm, I, I again, it did not need to be six episodes in my mind. I think a, with this gender switch, it could have been really interesting. It could have been really um, hard hitting with a variety of women's issues with having uh, the the twins be women. And I, I don't know. I just think it dropped the ball in all the obvious and not so obvious places. Mm. Next, Carla's song. Oh, I, so I'm catching, and I'm still uh, doing can prep. Um, and I was catching up on some Ken Loach films and <clears throat> Carla's song, he did in 96. It stars, um, what's his name from... The Full Monty. Oh, God, I'm linking on his name. But it's set in 1987, Nicaragua, Nicaragua, basically, and covering that conflict in a not, I don't know, I I didn't like it. Oh, and um, Scott Glenn is playing an ex-CIA agent who is kind of unbelievably bad. This was a, a huge miss for me. And I, I know Ken Loach is a, a excellent director. Sometimes, mm, I don't know, that... Yeah, I didn't care for it at all. Mm. Next, the match factory girl. Uh, Aki Karzmaki's last part of his proletariat trilogy from, I think this one's 1990. Really love this. It's it's short. It's maybe an hour and 10 minutes. Uh, and it's about a neglected young woman who lives with her parents who kind of demean her. And she's just kind of basically shown to be invisible uh and she has a one night stand with a man and thinks that like, you can tell she's very excited by him and she, she tries to court him and he takes her out to dinner and he's like, like, look, bitch, I don't like your, your affection. Disgust me. You might as well get up and leave right now. I never want to see you again. And then she ends up being pregnant and tries writing him a letter. And he writes back saying, uh, kill the brat or something. And she, she kind of loses her mind and buys, uh, rat poisoning and starts to go to bars and um poison the man that tried to hit on her it's a very promising young woman <laughs> and then kill and and ends up killing her awful parents but uh yeah very enjoyable next el mariachi uh we're watching robert rodriguez's new film sometime this week and we did we did a, a live on the faculty i think or did we do a podcast um and I've never seen I've never seen his trilogy, so I was I, I thought it was time to catch up on those as I could. And I have to say I quite liked it. It's very it was made for you know zero dollars, and I think is the lowest budget film to hit a million at the box office. But uh, I was quite entertained. I don't know. Hmm. Desperado. And of course, the follow up was Desperado with Antonio Banderas stepping in his lead, and in many ways you could tell he had a lot more money. It's funny, you know, Danny Trejo didn't look good then, but it's like, oh, that's that's a young Danny Trejo. Uh, and and Salma Hayek. Uh, and I, 
you know, I don't like Quentin Tarantino on screen as a person. Uh, and I find him so obnoxious and he definitely isn't that he has, he's a small part. It felt like it's basically remaking the first film, but with a budget and a new lead heartthrob star. So it's okay. I remember my dad really strongly disliking this film because, and I, I think it's because it's very over the top and stylized and I, that wasn't something my dad, which is funny because he liked Pulp Fiction. But anyway, um, yeah, Elmer. Now I just have to watch Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Weekend at Bernie's? We were just, I think, you know, every now and then I'll put on something silly just because, and we put that on. And I think I was maybe hungry to watch Weekend at Bernie's too. Cause I don't remember. I know we watched this as kids, but um, it's not good. <laughs> no, and I, and I know I also watched it when I was younger and as an adult, it was not giving what I needed <laughs> at all. <laughs> Andrew McCarthy. I don't think I ever really cared for him. I really don't like mannequin, but he was if you if I close my eyes and listen to him, he sounds like Ricky Rude. Yeah, I could see that. Um, total Balak, I can't say it. Total Balalaika show. That's the end. Of, the last of Aki Karzmaki's Leningrad Cowboys. I guess you call that a trilogy. Okay. We watched Cape Fear the remake. Because mm-hmm, I think that was our first live. Was about the original Cape Fear. The I think the original is excellent. I thought the remake was excellent. Robert De Niro is so good. He's very creepy. And you know what? I think Julia Lewis did a really good job. She also did a very good job. Yeah. And I think, go ahead. I was going to say Robert De Niro is in like outright, like he's in such good shape. Like, I don't know what, because he's what, 49? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he put in work. You need to see Raging Bull. Yeah, I know body work but um nick nolte drove me crazy because he's i don't remember gregory peck being so flaccid for lack of a better word but in the character is supposed to be but it's frustrating right. it's almost like like well maybe i, I don't know I, I remember the change in the remake is um he was the defense attorney that basically was responsible for his client getting put away because he didn't properly defend him um Jessica Lang doesn't have anything to do in that really. No. And she that I mean she's she's giving it to you when she's recounting how the dog died, but uh her hair in that she looks very with that hair, she looks like Mary Stuart Masterson to me. But anyway, I I, I, I did mean, I did think the ending kind of dragged on, like the boat scene, uh like when De Niro gets in the water and then climbs back on the boat. It 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 wasn't as suspenseful as the original to me, but um, still, I think it's a very good movie. Yeah, I agree. Chez uh, Jolie Coiffure. Uh, yes, this is more can prep. Uh, Rosine Mbaka, uh, who I believe is, is she Cameroonian, uh, but this film is about uh, Cameroon. Cameroon. Uh, she has a new film in the director's fortnight. Uh, Mamber. Mambar Pirette. But this was a documentary, as she's directed several documentaries, um, set in Belgium. And it's about a woman who owns a, a little salon. Uh, and it, it's just kind of focusing on her and kind of the clientele that come in and out. Uh, and it's just very observational. It, it's short. 
interesting. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. She has a couple other films. She has a, something about, I think about her mother that I want to watch that sounds a bit more personal. Uh, but yeah. Creature with the Blue Hand. This is one of those German crimi films um, that are, there's like a series of films that from the 50s, 60s that were based on uh, novelist Edgar Wallace's works. Uh, usually kind, kind of, they were the predecessors to the movement, to the giallo films, kind of just these cheapy uh, crime thrillers. And this was, I put it on because I think Klaus Kinski is fascinating and he's playing twins, albeit ones that are badly dubbed. And they're not even the most insane part of this film, but uh, it's it was thankfully short. I didn't really care for it. Lights in the dusk, uh, and then Aki Karazmaki. Uh, uh, interesting film about uh, a night watchman who is basically the victim of a femme fatale who needs the keys to or the building that he's watching at night, so her the people she works for can rob it. Uh, and it's kind of sad and touching in a way, but I, I did enjoy that. Up close and personal. I watched this last night um, because I read John Gregory Dunn's book about the making of it, which took like 27 drafts and seven or eight years of his wife, his life with uh, wife Joan Didion. It's interesting because the the reason that they were looking for a project at the time that they were approached to do a film about Jessica Savage, right? The the news anchor woman that had a lot of issues. Um, thank God. Which we talked about in the live for Batman and for Batman Returns. Yes, they were looking. They needed to keep their medical insurance going through the WGA, so that that they kind of brokered this, amongst many other things that they were projects and they were working on the time. You know, they were both no novelists, but they wrote all their screenplays together. Um, it's interesting because that was born out of the writer's strike that was happening then. So it's, I think it's funny that I'm catching up with this now as we are, the WJ is going through another writer's strike. Um, but the, the, which I found that book fascinating. So I wanted to watch Up Close and Personal directed by John Avnet, which I'd never seen. Like Michelle Pfeiffer is transfixing, I think, in it. And Robert Redford actually was pretty charming. I thought they had nice chemistry. Uh, and and then and of course the Celine Dion song that was the nominee for an Oscar written by Diane Warren. Uh, it is old fashioned in a way, but I was surprised at just how you know Didion and uh, Dunn wrote the script for the Barbara Streisand version of A Star Is Born, and Up Close and Personal is a Star Is Born story. There, it it's almost the same template. I don't know, and and, and again reading the book monster and how they were kind of shoehorned into fashioning it this way they were doing kind of the process that they knew best and but yeah i don't know it had a lot of striking similarities to other material mm. well unfortunately there is an entry in the obituary section gordon lightfoot died mm, he sure did there was a documentary about him a few years ago. Um, I grew up listening to Gordon Lightfoot because uh, my dad, my, I don't know if he was making fun of, but my dad liked the wreck of the, the Edmund Fitzgerald, which was a song by him. Uh, but I also like Sundown. I like um, the 
what, what is it, it the if you could read my mind song that amber redid for oh yeah yeah in the 54 soundtrack um yeah i i think he was a really good singer but he was I, how old was he 80s mm. all right the secret movie this week was my selection um a few weeks ago as we often do will become fixated on an actor and then search like their entire filmography. <laughs> so we were looking through Faye Dunaway films mm -hmm. and came across the 2007 Hallmark Channel original miniseries, Pandemic. So it's wow. a two part series. Uh, each episode's like 90 minutes. Yeah. The basic story is the bird flu virus spreads through Los Angeles as a doctor from the CDC races to find a vaccine. So we saw the poster for it and we're like, what? And then when we saw that the CDC doctor is played by Tiffany Thiessen from Saved by the Bell, I was like, oh, we have to watch this. Uh, Eric Roberts plays the mayor of Los Angeles and Faye Dunaway plays the governor of California. But yeah. I have to say, as much as I was laughing at the idea of Tiffany Tiffany Thiessen playing the CDC doctor. She's probably does the best job with this film. With the material. Yeah, the she's material actually now. not, she's not too distracting. She's giving a very serious, um, it's a, a very non-fussy performance. I don't know. There wasn't, there was a lot of fault with other things in this series, but Oh she my God. <laughs> this is, this movie is equally as as bad as it is it's also as it, like it's terrifying because if i would have watched this in 2007 i'd be like this is so stupid like like the, the way the people the way people are acting is so crazy but having gone through uh the okay. covid pandemic it's like nope everything in this series that seems so outrageous everyone did it and and yeah. more during the pandemic that the COVID pandemic. So as I was watching it, I was like triggered and uncomfortable and like depressed. <laughs> but the the story is that we see a guy, an American guy is in Australia and he gets sick, infects his friend who then returns to the US on a flight to LA and dies on the flight. So the CDC intervenes to try to figure out what's going on and they quarantine everyone on the flight. So then one of the people on the flight is like, I'm not gonna be quarantined. I have too much work to do. So he escapes, but he's infected. So he starts infecting people, which of course spreads across the city. So the, so the decision is made, like we need to quarantine LA. We need to figure out how to treat this. What kind of sets this movie on, sends it to strange land is that on the plane, there is a, like a prisoner being held by the federal government being flown to LA. And he is able to escape. Like there's a huge like escape scene. And then he ends up stealing the entire supply of the drug that is thought to be able to treat everyone. Mm -hmm. So then of course the movie, so then the movie turns into like sort of like a crime thriller, action thriller, but not very well done. And ultimately it's discovered that that bad guy 
he he was exposed to the virus but never got sick Mm -hmm. and the medicine that the cdc wants to use to treat people is like not enough anyway it's just a small band-aid but they find out that the reason the bad guy never got sick is because when he was in prison in in australia he was part of like a vaccine trial Mm -hmm. and they discovered that the reason he never got sick is he has antibodies because he had been treated for TB. So then they find out that the way to stop the virus is they need to inoculate people with antibodies from the blood of people who've had TB. So the film ends with, or the series ends with the city saying they have a a, a treatment and anyone who's ever been treated for TB come on down so we can start getting this going. Uh, yeah, we don't have a lot of time and there are, uh, there's just so much to say. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> well, immediately, I will say episode one is better than episode two. Uh, well, because episode of- two turns into almost like an episode of like, like a bad CSI, something like <laughs> Oh yeah, that's where the writers are just like, okay, we're we've lost control. Uh, but I, I think we know we're in trouble from on the plane when we have characters introducing each other. When he's like, "I'm Gibby Smalltalk," and then that oh. one that's, "I'm Anna Bootfels." Like, what? I wrote that down. The name. If you want a good laugh, go on to IMDb, look up this movie, and look at the character names. They just make no sense. And Eric Roberts is Richard, so Dick D'Alessandro. Dick which, D'Alessandro. <laughs> well, he, I think it was Joe D'Alessandro, but... I'm just going to go through my notes. When we're in Australia and we realize that someone's infected, they show us by not only the people looking and sounding sick, but we see all these dead animals everywhere. <laughs> like a menagerie of dead animals. Yeah, men- yeah it's so random. There's that bird, there's cat. Yeah, pelican, dog, cat, goose, hound, raccoon, whatever. Um, Okay, so when we're on the plane and we realize that someone's sick, then there's this thing that they use in episode one that I was referring to as like the virus cam or like virus vision. Well, Well, they have two versions of it. One is whenever someone coughs or sneezes, they... Because we there are other movies about viruses where they do the same thing, but then you can see the particles in the air. But this movie didn't have the budget. So literally, it's just the camera person sort of turning the camera to the air in the airplane. Like, it was so stupid. But then we also get a technique where whenever the virus is transmitted, like, so like if someone coughs on someone, then we get a flashback in sepia tones of like patient zero transmitting it that became tiresome very quickly <laughs> like we don't need to see it we know that that he gave it to him and she gave it to her and that blah, blah, blah. like uh okay a character i hated was there's this woman on the flight who when we first meet her but b- before things go bad she has a camera and she is taking pictures on the plane like you have never seen this where like there's a professional photographer just walking around the plane taking photographs who I thought, well, you said she looked like Steven Tyler and I thought she looked like if you took Steven Tyler and mixed him with Jennifer Esposito, 
I hated that character. And we'll get to her later because I thought her demise was funny. But um, so Faye Dunaway is the governor and she has an assistant, this brown man. And that's some of the worst acting I've seen. And it's not just bad dialogue. It He just cannot act. <laughs> thing it's and you and you can almost see like Faye relishing his terrible acting ability because she's like ah, I can do it for both of us <laughs> Faye is I mean she's giving you full Faye like oh. yeah uh, and I would love to hear stories from that set because her role is a little it's a little more meaty than I expected like she's in it quite a bit she oh, looks great. playing like tennis in her backyard yeah <laughs> Um, okay, so when the plane lands and Tiffany Thiessen and uh, French Stewart, who plays her co-worker, so they're both doctors, what was wrong with French Stewart? He looked like he didn't want to be there. He, just... he looked like he didn't want to be there. He looked like maybe he was constipated and that the laxative was just hitting because he was walking with this really, like he seemed very tense and like no affect there was no acting happening he just looked confused but when those two set up their quarantine then we have like the big guy from atlanta where, where the cdc is head based oh, bob gunton from shawshank redemption yeah he shows up and gives a press conference that is a disaster and then we see faye dunaway watching the press conference like oh no i need to do something and that's when she comes down to la and anytime her and eric roberts are in the same scene <laughs> Well, the fun Eric Roberts is like when it's just him on screen, he looks fine. But then when you get him with Faye, it's like, ooh, you look really tan. Well, yeah. And then also it seems like I can if 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 someone told me they didn't get along, I would believe it. Like <laughs> sure. it just seems really like these two people in the same scene do not belong together. Um, okay, so patient zero. Mm -hmm. he, the guy on the flight he dies on the flight so um, of course the plane gets diverted like on the runway and no one can be released so all these family members waiting uh, for their or for, you know loved ones waiting to pick up their family they're just waiting so then Tiffany Thiessen goes to tell them like there's been an incident we've set up a lounge for you to wait there's food and beverages we'll update you as we can and then is the family of so-and-so here, the guy who died on the plane. So his parents are there to pick him up and they tell them, say again, balloons, yeah, with balloons. And they take them to a private space to tell them your son died on the plane. And the way that family is reacting, oh, side note, I wanted to talk about this because it's kind of related. On my way, on my drive to Vegas, I caught up on my Dateline episodes and Every episode, they say the same thing about the victim who was killed, that they lit up a room, that they were the most loving, giving person. They were an angel. Or the person say that about them or the person that killed them. And all I kept thinking was, when I get murdered, please don't get up on TV with Keith Morrison and lie about me. Don't start saying that I lit up a room and that you could never see me doing that tell the truth i'm so tired of all these families every single episode all the friends and family act like this person who was murdered was an angel and then i've listened to a thousand episodes so you know how it goes by well, the you know, by, by the two-thirds 
Oh, so go go ahead. Your mother would say that about you. So, oh I yeah, would... my mom would be like, "Oh, he would he he would never do what they said." But by the two thirds point, they always flip the script. Like, well, actually, your little angel, she was dating a drug dealer and she helped him traffic. Like, okay, so that's how she got killed. But anyway. The parents' reaction to the guy on the plane dying was just so outrageous. Well, the, the man, they, they, they said that the kid died of something that he was infected with. And like, we need to see our son. We want to see our son. It's like, well, can you calm down? I, I mean, I know your kid just died, but let's not. They acted so white about it. Then the funeral for that guy, I was howling because there was no one at the funeral. You know who's at the funeral? They have this big funeral in the church for this patient zero kid. His parents are there and the mayor. That's it. And one news reporter. There is no one else at this funeral. <laughs> I don't know if it was a budgetary thing, but... Likely. Okay. So then we meet this douchebag Hollywood producer. Oh, my God. <laughs> His yeah. character. So the... The man who escaped uh, quarantine, Jack, yes. Jack Hendler is a real estate agent. Yes. And he's selling a boat that this movie producer wants to buy. So then he convinces this movie producer to buy like a mansion and the boat for $10 million. And then there's a really crunchy scene where they're celebrating back at the real estate office. And the real estate agent is coughing all over everyone, transmitting the virus. And then he's telling everyone, well, this big producer has a big movie and we're all invited to the screening. And then we get to the screening and the marquee says like, Michael Torino, private screening. <laughs> it was so bootleg. Um, it's, it's yes. And then, so he's going to Cabo with his girlfriend on the boat. I think that's in episode two, the movie producer. And he, the girl, the woman shows up and he's like, oh, are you back on the carbs? Okay, by this, okay, so at this point, it, it's crazy how much it resembled COVID because at this point in the miniseries, the CDC lets everyone know that there's this drug called Tanaflu, I think, Tamiflu, that, yeah. that can treat the virus. So, of course, everyone's trying to get Tanaflu, but no one has it. But, like, rich people can get it, so the producer's like, when they get on the boat, he's like, oh, my doctor gave me some, so let's just take it. Even though it says on you take it on the onset of symptoms, he's like, well, let's just take it and we'll be good. And then they're taking their boat to, I think, Puerto Vallarta or Cabo San Lucas, because they're like, we'll be safer there, like you think. But that screening was so crunchy. Then the real estate agent is coughing and bleeding all over everything. Then we get a name for the virus. So they call it the riptide virus because of the Australian surfer who brought it over. Um, and then the end of um, episode one is we see people like robbing a pharmacy to get the Tam flu. Oh yeah, that was another line I wrote down like at the beginning of episode two where these men are just screaming, do you have Tamiflu? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh but we need to take another break 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. So there's another character named Vincent or played by Vincent Spano. Is it Spano or Spano? Spano. Do who do I recognize that guy? He was one of those uh Chilean is it what what sports team was caught uh in the movie Alive where the soccer? Can- were they soccer or rugby? Anyway, uh he's in that he's part of that ensemble. Anyway, he plays an FBI agent who's helping transport the bad guy who was on the plane. Or, well, he's a, no, he, he's not the one who was traveling with him, but he's the guy, the original FBI agent who was traveling with him ends up getting the virus. So he's sick and Vincent Spano takes over. His character, the side story for him is that he's divorced. He has a kid. The His ex-wife has a new man. So he's all stressed out about that because he keeps missing his son's engagements. Um, but I, I was so frustrated by that character, the FBI guy, because so the bad guy breaks out of his quarantine and then his the bad guy's lawyer helps him like hide out. And because he's threatened to do so. And Vincent Spano just goes up to him and like threatens him, like, tell me where he is. Like, does he not understand how the law works? And right. And then the stakeout that they have with and he has a, some female detective with him, and they're like, Oh, we're undercover. Like and Whoever. and it goes left, it goes seriously left, and there's no backup. <laughs> I wrote that down. Like, whoever wrote this portion of the film, like that aspect of like the FBI and the crime thriller part, it feels like they don't know anything about anything. And their undercover operation was so flimsy and it goes left so fast, so hard. <laughs> like, and then she gets shot, the woman that's in the car with him, and she, I'm hit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh, but Spano's ex-wife is super annoying as is his child, but she's starting to get a cold, like it, like it makes it look like she's sick and her new man comes home with a box a, a bunch of groceries and she coughs and he's like, "Whoa, I got a deposition. I got to go." She's like, "Oh, oh I wrote that down. She ca- he heard her cough one time." And he ended everything. <laughs> no, he's like, I'm, I'm go. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna go. I'll come back later. And she goes, No, I don't think you are. Goodbye, Frank. Like that. They just broke up over that. It was soap opera level writing. Like, like I, if that happened, I mean, at least grab the groceries you bought. Why are you? <laughs> and then it turns out. Well, we'll we'll get to it. But I agree. She was annoying. I hated the son i hated that little boy so much and then when he when his dad his dad vincent spano spano gives him like a respirator like a mask and the little boy's like i'm not wearing that i just thought let that little boy die because also if the little boy dies you don't have to pay child support and your son's gonna grow up to be a dick so who cares but um getting back to the photographer lady so 
she gets out of quarantine and then she returns to the quarantine because she wants to take pictures and she tells Tiffany Thiessen's character for the first time it feels like my work really matters that character to me seemed like she was on drugs like what? Uh, yeah she and then like these people are in a state of rapid decline she's snapping pictures of them like without we need to talk about the mask situation because for example the photographer ends up getting sick she's in this hospital taking pictures without a mask on of all these people who are sick who are also not wearing masks everyone's coughing then her ass gets sick she's still taking pictures now she's coughing she's not wearing a mask then all of the cdc people are like so the head of the cdc that one guy he gets kidnapped by the bad guy but then he's like rescued and he's sick because there is a scene where the bad guy, who is not sick, but the CDC guy doesn't know that, the bad guy coughs into his handkerchief and then shoves it in the CDC guy's mouth. So the CDC guy thinks he's sick. When he returns to the CDC to go talk to all of his staff, all of these doctors who are sitting in a room who are not wearing masks, he comes in after having been kidnapped and what is the first thing he says? I'm probably sick. Yeah. <laughs> but then this was all flashbacks to COVID because every person is wearing, like, so wearing the mask is not consistent. Then people are wearing the mask, like when they're by themselves. And then the minute they walk up to someone, they take the mask off, which was what drove me crazy during COVID. Like people would walk like they'd be wearing the mask and then they walk up to you and they take it off like you should be doing the opposite dummy like if you're just walking alone down the street don't wear the mask but when you approach me put that shit on even the governor and the mayor they they give press conferences where they're wearing the mask and then as soon as they get to the podium and they're standing next to people they take the mask off <laughs> yeah. that's just so crazy Eric Roberts get, gets approached by, because we meet Eric Roberts in a classroom while stuff's going, much like George Bush on 9-11. And yeah. uh, the girl who's giving a speech, her father has a scene with him and he approaches him later. Like, I don't know if they were at City Hall or something. And he's like, is it safe to stay in the city? And Eric Roberts goes, as long as you're careful and wear a mask. Can we talk about that? This man... Um, I, I wrote his name down because Jose Ruiz, uh -huh. I think he's like a plumber or something, or he does something and he, we meet him because his daughter is giving a speech where the mayor is. And then we also find out Jose Ruiz is like a national guard person. So he's part of the people who are like helping quarantine. So he made a trip all the way down to city hall to accost the mayor to simply ask him, is everything going to be okay? Who sure. was who should I leave the city? Yeah. Should I leave? Like what? Like, like the mayor's going to be like, but, but you know what it made me think of during COVID, like how selfish people are, how everyone thinks they're going to get like one step ahead of everyone else. Like we're all in this together. Like you're not going to, which brings me to another character. There's this like private security guy that's giving very much like proud boys. He's this white guy who refuses to quarantine. He says everything's unconstitutional. He has his guns and his pickup truck and he gets all his buddies to get together to revolt. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? 
they end up getting sick and then the leader dies and the other guys turn themselves in because they're scared. Like, because <laughs> he thinks that the virus, you know what I think is funny? His little gang, they think that the virus is like the, the government trying to thin out the herd, as they say. And my thought always is like, why do people like this think that they are the target then? Like, why do they always think the government's trying to eradicate you? Like, if you're so proud and superior, why do you always assume that you're the one who's going to get the short end of the stick? Like, <laughs> that was their logic. I, like, I just don't understand. But um, when Vincent Spano goes to the hospital to see his old co-worker, um, he's like, hey, big guy, remember when we first partnered together? Like, that was so corny. Like, and then his friend dies. So then he calls his wife to tell her, because prior to that, she was very cold towards him. Like, I don't even know why you mess with this lady still. And then this annoying ass son. But then he calls her to cry about it. And then he tells her like, well, I didn't know who else to call. <laughs> like, this writing, like trying to be emotional, was not effective at oh, all. Oh no! Well, just like the photographer lady when she her deathbed scene where she asked Tiffany Amber Thiessen to take her picture, because her logic early on when they're quarantined is she goes, "Well, someone needs to document this." Sure. Who needs, who needs photos of people sick in bed? This is not wartime. Like you're taking pictures of rubble. This is just people like coughing and sneezing in a hospital bed, and that's what got Joe ass sick. And then yeah, <laughs> then she asked Tiffany to take a picture of her, and then she says like, um, like that this is important. Like like the film and this camera. Don't nobody want to see you sick up, laid up in this hospital bed? Okay. A moment in the film that had me howling. Renee Taylor is in the movie. Yes. Fran Drescher's mom on The Nanny. With nothing to do. When we first meet her on the, like, we, we, like we meet her on the plane and she's just there. Then she is in the quarantine and the photographer wants to take a picture of her. And she's like, well, I don't look my best, but go ahead. And then we don't see her again for like another two hours. And when we see her, she's she's at home she was sick um and she dies but before she died she wrote a note like a death note that she put on top of a photo album and the part that made me laugh until i cried is she's talking about like the, the memories and and whomever finds this note to give the photo album to her family but she says can you make sure to like sanitize the the photo album so my family doesn't throw it away? <laughs> and then we see Renee Taylor like dead in the bed. Oh my God, that poor lady. She deserved better than that. She I think most of these people did, but oh, um, they're the, the FBI guy, Spano's uh, thing with the lawyer because they tap... Uh, Michael Massey plays the bad guy, the the drug kingpin, but they tap his lawyer who's going to meet with the man that has stolen the, the shipment of the prophylactics that they need. And 
that man gets away because the lawyer gets shot the the man with the medication gets away but there's there's roadblocks but he's bleeding because he's been shot and he's like leaning out out of the side of his car and this kid this young man walks by like walking in an area where no one would be walking um with a mask on too, which I thought Adam said that he runs to him. He's like, sir, are you okay? And the guy like points a gun at his head. He's like, get in my car and drive it. <laughs> and then that kid. So, shot. so the know. bad guy carjacks this, you know, good Samaritan. And then he tells him like run through the barricade. And then the cops or the national guard shoot the car. And so it's like stopped. And what does this dummy do? He runs out of the car. Like the good Samaritan. Like the he, good samaritan so of so, course he's going to get shot and he does like why would you do this oh so i thought well another funny scene is when the producer that hollywood producer's on the boat and he's sick and but before that the girlfriend hears on the radio that tanaflu is not a, an effective treatment to the contrary there's another drug the name of which i don't oh cotoxyl that's the drug that works not tanaflu oh, so she's like so so they're on this boat and she runs and tells her boyfriend like hey this tanaflu doesn't work and he's coughing up blood coughing all over her and she doesn't even try and then we cut to them both dead in the boat <laughs> but he's like that's impossible my doctor gave me these um okay there's a moment when faye dunaway is like yelling at um well she's not um eric roberts because now they're going to quarantine he tells faye dunaway like listen i'm going to tell you something off the record and if you ever repeat it i will use everything in my power to destroy you and i'm like what is he going to tell her he tells her oh i can have an unmarked card take you back to sacramento <laughs> like and then Faye Dunaway says, and this line is like, I don't know how there wasn't a gif of Faye Dunaway saying this that went that didn't go viral during the pandemic. But she goes, death and disease, not on my watch, Mr. Mayor. I don't know how that did not go viral during COVID. Because nobody, no, well, a lot of people did watch this during the pandemic, apparently. It, I don't like if I could figure out how to like rip that scene out of the movie, I would post it. Like it is brilliant. But before Eric Roberts has an assistant who is so aggressive, mm-hmm. he's out of control. He's out of control. Don't he, do that. That's her job. Yeah, he's out of control. Then there's a moment when Tiffany Thiessen has to like basically like strong arm the mayor to talk to her because she's in charge of the CDC in LA. So she finally gets the mayor, the governor in one room. And she's like, listen, we have to quarantine the city. If we don't, X, Y, Z is going to happen. She's being very logical, very calm. And then she's like, and, and they're afraid. And she's like, look, you can blame it on me. Technically, I have jurisdiction in this situation and I can force you to quarantine. So if it backfires, just blame it on me. So in a very calm voice, she says, I'm ordering you to quarantine the city. And the mayor's assistant goes apeshit. Like, 
lady, who the hell do you think you are? And I'm just like, why is this assistant so out of control? Yes. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. But again, like uh, Tiffany Amber Thiessen's not the problem here. No, really. she's not. She's the best. I mean, she's the like the most palatable part of the movie. I Faye doesn't be the best part of the movie, but oh, Tiffany, yeah. yeah. Then a Tara Reed style. I was too. So then we find out that Cotaxel is the real treatment. The bad, like the the main bad guy has like the shipment of it carjacked, like or hijacked. And part of the people who hijack it is a guy wearing a dress, like pretending to be a woman in despair, like on the side of the road. <laughs> I was like, not Medea hijacking the Cotaxel. <laughs> <laughs> Um. oh god there's so, like this episode is going to be the longest one ever but there's a scene when so then when the bad guy gets all the cotaxel he's like you know what we should do just to prove a point to the governor because he's hijacking the drugs because he wants the mayor or the governor Faye Dunaway to pardon him that's right but yeah. he's like well I'm going to send her a message we have a million doses let's take 50,000 and sell them for $200 each. And then we cut to like a news report of a drug dealer in, in Beverly Hills selling Cotaxel. And then we see like a soccer mom driving a minivan buying Cotaxel. And the dialogue between these- Oh my God. The, How, you hear the dealer going, show me the green. <laughs> like terrible. But then I was thinking, how does some soccer mom in Beverly Hills find out that there's a drug dealer selling Cotaxel? Like, and this is 2007, so it's not like everybody had smartphones with a bunch of apps. Oh, it's crazy. Where's the communique about uh, where the drug dealer with Cotaxel is in Beverly Hills? And then, speaking of the $200 Cotaxel, Cotaxel, whatever, then the little boy I can't stand, he goes and robs an ATM. Like he finds his dad's gun or someone's gun in the house and he goes to an ATM and robs some guy. <laughs> yes. And I recognize that actor. His name is Brian oh. Davis, um, who is in the Cyril Guerra film called Embrace of the Serpent. But and it's funny because he's wearing a mask and I'm like, oh, I recognize that man. Oh, <laughs> well. Um, so then I thought when the little boy robs the guy goes and buys Cotaxel, like don't know how he, like he went to Beverly Hills and bought these drugs. Then he brings it to his mom. And she's like, what did you do? Like somehow she knows that he robbed someone. And I wrote down, wouldn't it be funny if she didn't have the Riptide virus? And then we find out in the end, she didn't have the virus. She did, This lady had pneumonia. <laughs> but she was acting so out of it. Like, like she she acted like she was going to die because that kid gives her the pill and she basically takes it and then passes right out. Like, I was confused. Like, did she die right now? Because... Right. Then we get a scene, because then we get a scene where the medical examiner or like the coroner of LA is like, there are too many bodies. I can't store them. So we need to start burning bodies. And then we get a scene that I thought was actually really graphic of bodies being dumped in a pit. Mm -hmm. I was kind of shocked to see that. Um but my final note is that the um, when there Tiffany Thiessen realizes that the main bad guy never got sick, 
So they need to find out like what's going on. So they bring him in to question him. And he's like, well, I'll give you information about my medical history, but you have to give me this, 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 and this. And Vincent Spano's like, absolutely not. You're not being pardoned. He's like, if you do this for us, we won't give you the death penalty. And he's like, I'm not afraid to die. He's like, oh no, you're going to spend your the rest of your life in prison. And then the guy's like saying, I'm not afraid of prison. And then Vincent Spano whispers something into his ear, but we never hear what he said to him. But whatever he said to him made him tell them about the uh, the the research vaccine he took. But I, just, but I just thought, did he tell him like, he's gonna be like raped anally? Like, I, I just was imagining like all the things they say in movies to scare guys about prison. Like, It doesn't make any, and then they made that overly complicated because they're like the prison records from Australia show that you didn't get the, yeah. it's like, well, that's because you checked under my name. I actually faked it. So oh, even before that, when Tiffany Thiessen's like running the labs and looking through his reports, it's it's like overly complicated. Like as the audience, I don't care. I don't care how you discovered this. Right, this right. episode is overly long. Um, what what else do you want to say about Pandemic, the Hallmark original miniseries? Pandemic. Tyler Perry needs to make the the t- Pandemic version. <laughs> Starring Dem- starring Demi Lovato as oh. as like the head of as the head of the CDC. <laughs> Demi Lovato and Bella Thorne. Uh, I I I mean you know I'm a completist, so it's nice to watch all of Faye's work. I did not like this. What would you give it? One. I would give it one and a half. I mean, it's it's the writing is just terrible. I would recommend it because it's funny. And then also, since we can all relate to having gone through a pandemic, uh, it'll, I mean, it was triggering. I was sitting, when when we watched episode one together, and then when I watched episode two by myself, I was just sitting there like, I can't believe this is the world we live in and all this shit came true. I know, it's it was surprising. Well, much like Contagion, but so yeah. was very prescient. Um, little did we know. But I'm, you know, because during the, during the pandemic, we watched Outbreak, we watched Contagion. I'm kind of glad we didn't watch this. Yeah. Uh, because I don't think I would have been able to appreciate how humorously terrible it is as well. Yeah, agreed. Um, well, I think we're watching a few things this coming week, right? Yes, yeah. Well, right, I leave for Cannes a week from today. So there's a lot to do before you go. Yeah, got a few screenings and things to see. So we'll have some, maintain some coverage while I'm away. Um, Yeah. Well, we should probably end this because it's really long. Do you have any final words? Goodbye, Frank. (laughs) Ta-ta.